Well, I've, um, I've had some real encounters with the Lord lately, and I'm only in my 50s now. I won't tell you exactly how old, but I've now made it into my mid-50s now and, you know, lived just long enough to experience just enough where I feel like I got a little bit. I'm starting to get a clue. Another 20 years, I might have three-quarters of a clue, but just tuned into things, and I've experienced a little bit of things that now my kids come back and they read about in the history books, <laughs> like Ronald Reagan's presidency. So, oh my goodness, that's history now? Yeah, that's like ancient history for some, some of the kids. And, uh, you know, re- just remembering, seeing some cycles of history go. Some of you have lived longer. You've lived another cycle or two of historic events and kind of the roundabout and roundabout kind of thing that happens in history. God is working his, his plan together. God's working all things together for good, to be sure. But there are certain times that it just feels like right now is a critical moment. Like right now is a time where either somebody does something or it gets really dark out there. And there's only one, one people who have something to do about darkness, and that's the people of light. So that's us. So I, I come today with a word of encouragement Please only hear encouragement in what I'm about to say. This isn't a word of rebuke. It's not a word of correction. This is a word, and the Lord, rarely I get a title first and then a message. You can ask the office staff, drive them crazy because they want to have, you know, some things for the printer, for the podcast and things like that. They like to know ahead of time what's it called so we can get everything set up. And usually I don't know what to call it, so it's baked. You know, you gather ingredients during the week, then you bake it, and then you share it on Sunday. And this time the Lord gave me a title. No, you haven't lost your mind. And the Lord spoke that to me quite a few times over the last few months. There, there are times where it just seems like the spirit and the thing that's being communicated, the things that are going on, can almost make you look and go, maybe I'm, maybe I'm the one who lost my mind. Maybe, you know, maybe I've just been off. Maybe something's wrong with me. Because I see something that looks, I see something and it's blue, and everybody says it's red. Maybe my color sensor is off or something like that. And I want to tell you from the Lord's heart, you have not lost your mind. You have not lost your mind. You've kept it perfectly sane. We're living in an age when the people of God have got to have a foundation in the Lord Jesus Christ, a foundation in the word, and a holy born confidence that what's easy and plain to see is easy and plain to see. My moment, like my moment of, uh, I just felt this thing dump on me and when the Lord spoke these words to me were months ago during the hearings for the new Supreme Court Justice when asked point blank, can you define for me a woman? And she could not. And I said, that is a Supreme Court Justice. And, and you know, I don't remember exactly what she said, but you, you don't have to be a biologist to answer that question. And, and some of the things that are being said, some of the things that are being done, I've heard from so many believers as I've talked, some here, some outside of here, that just feel like, I just feel like I'm losing my mind. I feel like I can't even get a grasp on what's reality anymore. And that's how spirit, the, the kingdom of darkness operates by making the people of the truth feel like they believe a lie. It's been that way since the beginning. I suppose the enemy will never have a new tactic. Do you know the only thing that the enemy has in his arsenal is deception and intimidation? Those are the only tools he's got. The only way he succeeds at getting his way in the the earth is deception. Adam and Eve had all authority in heaven and earth given to them. All authority. God told them to rule over all the works of God's hands. That included the rulers of the kingdom of darkness that include the all the creation everything God made by the word of his mouth 
everything that God handcrafted for Adam in the garden, all of it, they were to rule over it all. They didn't have to contend for it. They didn't have to fight for position. They didn't have to do anything to conform to the image of God. They were made in the image of God. And it's no coincidence that the two areas in our culture right now that are under the greatest, the greatest manifestation of this, calling what's evil good and good evil, or calling what's light darkness and darkness light, saying it's black when actually it's red, is in the area of gender and sexuality. And that's not, I don't want to preach a whole message about that. You know, I prefer from this pulpit not to be a, an issues orientation. Let me explain what I mean by that. There are issues in our culture that need to be addressed. But I believe, as I believe Jesus did, that if we are secure in our identity in Christ, if we are walking in the Spirit, if we're discerning all things spiritually first and then letting our mind kick in to discern how to articulate truth, if we're living that way, everything becomes very simple. Do you know one of the manifestations of darkness is unnecessarily complicating things? Like answering a question like, what is a woman? I'm sorry, if, if there's not a simple answer to that that we all learned in first grade and then 10th grade and then college biology class, then something's amiss and it is not light coming to bring revelation. It's something really trying to twist and turn things. Adam and Eve, it was simple in the garden. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Yes, there's some things, there's some emotional things, there are even some biological things. There are some issues of the heart. And I hope you don't hear anything today that leads us not to be gracious toward those who are struggling in any area concerning identity, sexuality, orientation. Don't hear anything that's heard from this pulpit to be angry at anybody. Rather hear a word of compassion and a word of let's rise up in some spiritual authority and begin to pray that deception breaks off. Because in our heart of hearts, every one of us knows in the deepest part of who we are that we were made as was prayed in pre-service prayer in the image and in the likeness of God. And that's what's under attack. The basic thing, the first thing that happens in our body, the first cell that exists that makes us a human, when fertilization happens, we are either two X's or an X and a Y. We are male or female from when we were one-celled organisms. That's the most basic part of our identity, and that is under assault in our culture today. So here's what the Word of God says, and this, this may come... I'm not even going to apologize. It may come as a harder word, but I'm going to read so much scripture today, you're going to be dizzy. So I encourage you to write it down because the word of God says it better than this preacher ever could. And this is an hour when we need to know what the word says. Or we'll be subject to every sweeping wind of doctrine and every sweeping wind of philosophy, and we won't even know what's right and what's not. We become our own discerner of what's right and what's wrong. Right back to how we were in the garden is what we reintroduce whenever we try to figure things out as we like to say, without beginning with what God has already said. So Ephesians 5, and I'm going to start here in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, and he, before that he's talking about sins of the flesh and other things like that, because of these things the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what's pleasing to the Lord. 
So don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Instead, expose them, which means to confront darkness always with love. But how many of you know love doesn't mean ignore it? Love doesn't just mean say, well, to each his own. Love means like if I love you and you're drowning, if I have the capability to go and swim out there to rescue you, I will do it. Love means if I'm a doctor and you have cancer and I see it on all the scans and it is terminal and you're in stage four, my love for you will compel me to speak. My love will compel me to plead with you to do something about this or you're not going to live much longer. Love responds to the fruits of darkness with a compassion that acts with a compassion that, that seeks the wisdom of God first and then does something about it. It's disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret, but all things become visible when they're exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Now, there's so many things that could be said about the days that we're living in right now, so much darkness, so much you know, things that, that we could say that get depressed. But I want to tell you something encouraging. The fact that all of these things are coming into the light means the kingdom of God's advancing. I mean, somebody said, maybe I did, I don't remember where it came from. If all hell broke loose, it means the kingdom of heaven finally stormed the, stormed the gates. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. What happens when you reach the gates of a city and conquer it? Whatever is in there and has a way out. So if all hell broke loose, it's not because evil's conquering or triumphing. It's because good is, good is conquering because the kingdom of heaven's advancing. If it feels like things just look so chaotic and crazy out there, well done, good and faithful servant. You expose things which have been in darkness for too long. And just like mildew is when sunlight finally gets on it, now you can see it. It looks ugly. It smells horrible. But its days are numbered. Those are the days that we're in right now. I've only got like 80 of you convinced so far. I've got, I'll stay as long as it takes. Because <laughs> this is not an hour to be discouraged or depressed because of the manifestation of things that have been in darkness. Now is the hour to say, praise God, now we see it. Praise God, now may a boldness rise up in us. God, I pray you would make us bolder in this hour to speak the truth in love than we've ever been before. Make us clearer about what's right and what's wrong, about what's light and what's dark. Clearer now in our minds and in our hearts than we've ever been before. You know, as I was meditating on this and the Lord told me over and over again, no, Steve, you're not losing your mind. You're not losing your mind. You sure? Yeah, I'm sure. You're not losing your mind. You have the mind of Christ. You're not losing your mind. You can lose your mind if you go too deep into the weeds and partake of the fruitless deeds of darkness. Spend too much time talking about the fruitless deeds of darkness. Those aren't the things that need to be discussed. What needs to be discussed is, here's the open door to the kingdom of heaven. So I'm going to read one more scripture. This isn't in there for you to move, Karen, but John 3, we're, we're kind of in this hour. This is what Jesus said. God didn't send... After God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everybody's favorite Bible verse. And it's true. The way that God showed his love to the world was to send his son into it. Light into a dark place. In that period of history, you read about the first century, it was a dark, dark hour. It was dark because the, the people of God had grown dark, so dark that their leaders 
en masse rejected their own Messiah, the one they've been waiting for for generations. They rejected and crucified the Lord of glory. That's how dark the people of God had become during that hour. That's how the world had become so dark. It was an awful time to be alive. Nothing romantic about being back in ancient Rome, whatever Hollywood presents in those movies. Nothing good about it at all. Fifth of the world were slaves at that time. It was an awful time to be alive. So here comes Jesus, as we sang earlier, in the darkness we were waiting without hope and without life, till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes. That was it. God said, this is how God loved the world. He sent his only son. He who believes in him, or for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So even Jesus would say over and over again through his ministry, I didn't come here to judge you. That's not my ministry. Do you know it's still not our ministry to go and judge the world? It's not our ministry to go around and say who's saved, who's not saved. Now can we say what is sin and what's not sin? You betcha, and we better. That's a boldness, that's courageous. That is saying, no, this scan right here, that's cancer. That is deadly. That will kill you if you don't do something about it. That is the loving thing to do. What's not the loving thing to do is to say, shame on you. Where'd you pick up that cancer? Were you a smoker? Did you eat a bad diet when you were young? That's not our ministry, right? Jesus' ministry wasn't even that, and he's the only one who can rightly judge the living and the dead. We're all clear on that, right? If you're not, now you are. (laughs) Not to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. So in other words, the presence of light in and of itself, no decisions necessary, the presence of the people of light the presence of the light of the world. First, Jesus, then tag your it, it's us now. You are the light of the world. You understand, right? We're not the reflection of the light of the world. We are the light of the world. We're not like the moon that reflects a secondhand light. We have life in us. Like the sun creates its own light because of what's in it, because of the chemicals and all, all the physics types things that go on and make the sun explode and make light. <laughs> That's as deep as I'm getting today. That's what's happening inside of us. We are the light of the world. What happens when light comes in the room? It judges what's there by revealing it. So Jesus came to his own people. He went about doing good. He healed the sick. He opened blind eyes. He preached the gospel of love. He didn't have hatred for anybody. He had a rebuke for a lot. He had some a thing or two to say about the judgmental Pharisees, the ones looking down their snooty noses at the sinners that existed, but he had nothing but love. And the judgment was some people reacted to him and said, you have the words of life. Where else would we go but here? And others reacted to his words, and they said, we're going to crucify you. Same message, same person, manifesting the same life and a different response. That's the only judgment that comes from the people of God. It's the natural byproduct. How do people react when light is exposed? You ever have somebody get mad at you because you offered to pray for them? You ever have somebody, I've had people literally curse at me. You ever have somebody just like, like this at you because you just mentioned the name Jesus? Not like in some preachy, Bible-thumping, you know, 
kind of way, but you just say the name Jesus because you love Jesus, because Jesus is all in all for us. He's like the center of our world. And we're not going around beating on, I hope you're not anyway. Don't take your Bible, like an old Thompson chain reference, or Schofield reference Bible and go around beating up on people with it, but just mentioning the name Jesus just because that's my life. Just like everybody talks about what they love. You know, you, you love drinking, you love the beach, you love the mountains, you love the rolling hills. You like the daffodils, you like the fireside when the lights are low. Sorry about that. <laughs> Whatever it is, you like, you like talking about the thing you love. Well, all I'm doing is talking about Jesus because I love him. Because he's the center of everything. He's changed my life. He's become my all in all and I can't see life without Jesus in it anymore. And then people get mad at you for that. Or people get mad because you're living a holy life. Students, hear me out. You're living a, a holy life. Let's say you are, uh, among other things, you're saying, I am keeping my, my sexuality for my wife or my husband. I'm going to be a virgin the day I marry. Why would people get mad at you for that? People get mad at people. Oh, you think you're better than I am? And, and, and this response, that's why Jesus said, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You're not being persecuted because you're preaching, because you're, you know, whatever things they're saying. Just because you're living an upright life, all of a sudden, what manifests all around you is this hatred for what you do. This used to happen to me all the time when I worked at the Boys and Girls Club. I was the only Christian in the place, and I never went in there with a, you know, Bible-thumping attitude. But I would just be kind. I would be, you know, fun. I would love the most unlovable, like that kid that got kicked out three times a week. Come back again, forgiven, clean slate, ready to start over again. He might only last two hours that day, but he got two hours of love from me before I had to send him home again because, you know, no, you can't hit kids over the head with a pool stick. You, you know, you, just, you can't do that here, right? <laughs> so it's manifesting all of that, and yet there were people that, you know, mocked me like my boss. <laughs> he would mock me. Once he found out and went to one of them churches where they lay hands on the sick, Man, he'd come in sometimes, like, you know, he put on his church lady voice. Remember the church lady from Saturday Night Live? He'd come in with the church voice. And then, or he'd come up to me and go, be healed, you know, just out of nowhere. I'm like, I've never even seen anybody do it like that before, but okay. You know? And, and what, what did I do? I just manifested light, and all of a sudden, what was in people began to manifest. It's going to be like that. Sometimes things are going to be manifest not because you did something wrong. It's because you're doing it right. Because you're manifesting. He's the fragrant aroma. Fragrant aroma to those who are being saved. And it smells like rotten cabbage to those who are perishing. Same aroma, different vessels. So that's what we are. We're exposing things in light. Jesus said it. That's the judgment. You love the darkness rather than the light because your deeds were evil and you wanted to keep doing evil. That's the bottom line. You love the evil things that you're involved in too much to humble yourself and repent and say, God, forgive me. I want to be in your kingdom. Your way is life. Your way is the best way. And people love their deeds. And so they held on to whatever belief it takes to keep practicing the things. I, for, for years before I gave my heart to the Lord, I rationalized and kept God at a distance because I really just like going out and drinking. Five, four or five nights a week, I just really like going out to those parties and nightclubs and pubs and, and all the other things like that. I just really liked it. Why do I keep away from the Lord? I used to say things like, well, I'm just, I'm searching or, well, you know, I just need to understand or I need a reason to believe. Reality check, when I look back at my life then, it's because I just loved drinking and I loved sleeping around. I loved that more than I wanted to give my life to the Lord. That's the bottom line. And that's just the truth. That's just the truth. 
We keep away, people keep away from God because they love their, their, their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, this is verse 20, and doesn't come to the light. Why? For fear that his deeds would be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes into the light so his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought by God. The hour that we're living in right now reminded me of a story. I was a folklore major in college. I started out pre-med. Organic chemistry was interfering with my drinking schedule, so I changed my major to be a a literature major because I love to read. And then of all the six categories of literature, folklore seemed like the best blow-off major. I've repented to my mother and father for all the wasted money. Don't do it. I'm going to say it. And I would never ask anybody to pay 10 grand off of that bill either. I said it. I'm going to say it. Sometimes things need to be said. Because that was a waste of my parents' money that I repented of. It was a waste of my time. Did God use it? You bet he did. Jehovah Sneaky was working in that. That's another name of God. It's not in the scripture, but it's a name of God. Jehovah Sneaky worked it all together. And by studying all the other religions of the world, by studying every story ever written by all the tribes, tongues, and nations of the world, I read the Bible and said, oh my goodness, it's the only one that makes any sense. After comparing, oh, I read the Quran cover to cover, I read everything the, the Buddhists have read. I read it all. And all of it was mumbo jumbo mythology. Here's another interesting pantheon of characters. And I read the scriptures and, and all of a sudden I found myself weeping. I found myself saying, hey, that actually makes sense. And that actually, I, that seems like that works. And, and all of a sudden, the Bible became supernatural to me, where I'd read it as literature at one stage, all of a sudden it stood out. Anyway, God did that. So the hour that we're living in right now feels very much like a story that we studied. Hence, Christian Anderson, I studied his life. We read all of his, they call them fairy tales, even though fairies don't really show up much in his stories. But the one for the hour, I believe, he had a prophetic word for his day. And I don't know about his faith. I don't know really what the man was all about. But his stories were very profound. And the story of the emperor's new clothes came to mind. And the story of the emperor's new clothes is that there was this vain emperor, kind of, you know, he had his country, and he liked being in charge, and he really liked clothes. That was his weak spot. He really liked clothing. That's, uh, can you put that picture? Oh, there it goes. I'm sorry. All of a sudden, it started working. He really liked clothes. So these two poor tailors came to town, like weaver tailor types, and they, they came up with a scheme. Said, why, wow, he really loves clothes? I think we know how we can scam this guy. They came in, and they told the king, hey, we've, we found this thread that is so light and feels so comfortable, and it's so beautiful that it almost feels like, it feels like you're wearing nothing. But here's the thing. This thread can only be seen by people who are worthy to occupy the emperor's court. So what people out there may say, it doesn't look like anything, but that just means they're not worthy of being part of the emperor's court. So the emperor hired them and said, oh, I, would, I need to have clothes like that. That sounds great. So the tailors got to work in their secret little place. They had the emperor under their spell now because he was so vain. He just wanted these amazing clothes to be the only clothes like them in all the world. And so the tailors got to work and the emperor sent his chief minister, which in that day and hour minister did mean a Christian minister who was involved in government, like your chief advisor, the one you trust the most. Why? Because he's a priest or in that probably Dutch reformed might have been what they were about. That's a man connected to heaven, and so I trust his advice. So he sent his minister, and his minister went in while the tailors were working, and he couldn't see anything. So he got to thinking, oh man, if I go back and I tell the emperor I can't see this, 
That means I'm not worthy to be in this court. I can't go back and tell the emperor I don't see anything. I don't want to lose my job. And so he goes back and he tells the emperor, oh, wait till you see these things. They're the most magnificent clothes I've ever seen. They're colorful. The beauty of the weaving job these guys are doing. You're so lucky you hired these guys. Where a few weeks went on and the emperor sent his next advisor. He said, go ahead, tell, tell me how the clothes are coming along. I can't wait to wear these things and show them off to the whole kingdom. So no, this other advisor went and he saw the same thing. He saw these guys just pretending to weave and make stuff. He saw absolutely nothing. Same thing. I don't want to lose my job. So I, I better go back and say that what the minister said. It, that he came back and told the king, he's beautiful. You're not gonna, I can't wait for them to finish. Finally, the day came for the big showing and the emperor walked in the room where the tailors were and he saw nothing. So he said, oh my goodness, maybe I'm not supposed to be the emperor. I better not tell anybody that I can't see these clothes because they might think I'm not worthy to be the emperor. If they could see him and I can't, my, my jig is up and I'll lose my job. And so the tailors pretended to wrap the king in all these royal garments. They put a belt around him. I mean, can you imagine the smirk on their face? While they're dressing this emperor up, while the whole kingdom is outside waiting to see the unveiling of the king's new clothes, the emperor's new clothes. And he comes out and all the people knew the same thing about the thread. If you don't acknowledge that you could see this, if you can't see it, you're not worthy. You're not one of us anymore. You're an outsider now, and, and you don't belong in this kingdom. So everybody was in on it. The emperor comes out in his birthday suit, parading in front of the entire nation, who all start cheering. This is great. What beautiful garments. How amazing this is. Until he gets through the procession, and one little boy in the middle of the crowd. Thank God for the honesty of little boys. You know how... You know, kids, how they, before they learn that, all right, you can be honest, but you don't have to be rude, right? You, you don't have to say everything that comes to mind, right? That's part of adulting. You, you learn, you might believe and know something, but you don't have to, like, like you're fat, you know? <laughs> Come on, man, I'm trying, you know? It's like, you don't have to say everything that comes to mind. But the emperor's going through and everybody's cheering for him and uh, talking about how amazing his clothes are. This little boy in the crowd says, He's not wearing anything. And at first, the people all around were like, the, the boy, can you believe the boy said he's not wearing anything? And then somebody's like, you know he's right, right? And I was like, yeah, you know he is right. And all of a sudden, word spread around the crowd. The emperor is naked. And the emperor, oh my goodness, you're right. <laughs> and then he goes in. It's, you know, it's this goofy story, but man, are we not living in that day? We need right now in the body of Christ the simplicity and boldness of a child to call something what it plainly is. Not to be rude about it and not to make that the primary issue of our message. Please don't hear anything in this to mean, hey, it's time for us to find some issues to get on board with. That is not what we're about. The, way Jesus, the genius of Jesus in changing the world and transforming the world into righteousness was that he converted hearts one by one. And that converted heart would now see the truth. It would be plain as day. It would be obvious. And we would know the truth and the truth will set us free. That's how we still will go about our message. But then there are times that we need to learn not to cave in to the pressure of the voices around us. We need to learn and be careful that we don't give in to what the crowd is saying, to what the mob is saying. We don't need to worry about being canceled because we don't go along with things that are plain and obviously true. 
Because just because everyone says something doesn't make it the truth. Just because, you know, the crowd one day is shouting Hosanna, the next day that same crowd is shouting crucify him. Same crowd, same Jerusalem within seven days. The mob can be moved like that, but how many know truth isn't up for a vote? There's some things that are just plain and obvious from the first cell. I've been watching some interactions now that, you know, the, the abortion issue is back front and center because, you know, I think we're up to five states now have banned abortion and then more to come. And, and now the debate is back out again, front and center. And it's important for us to know and have answers, to us to know and be ready. So I saw this. I thought this was a genius exchange and a great way of putting it. Um, this woman was in a crowd of college students. God bless the ones who are willing to go on to college campuses and engage in an open conversation. I would snap. Honestly, I would lose my mind. I would have a frontal lobe hijack and say things I'd regret later on with the kind of foolishness that gets said. But this woman stayed calm, cool, and collected. And, and a girl got up and said, um, you know, it, it, we're not aborting a human. We're aborting an embryo. And, and the woman was like, you know, I used to be an embryo and so did you. In fact, you used to be a single cell thing and then you were a zygote and then you were an embryo and then you were a fetus and then you were a newborn baby, then you were an infant, then you were a toddler, then you were a preschooler, then you were a young child, then you were a teenager and then you were an adult and one day you're gonna be geriatric and you've always been a human throughout it all. To which one of the students responded, well, a, a, man, a human embryo looks just like a dolphin. And that's, that's exactly what I did. And I was like, what? I would have lost my mind. She stayed calm and cool. And she said, well, I've never seen a woman give birth to a, a human woman give birth to a dolphin before. <laughs> they might look the same, but I mean, I've only been to six births myself. My wife's been to 250-ish or something like that. I don't think there's ever been a wondering in the delivery room whether you're going to hear, ah, or ah. <laughs> that's just never happened. Why? Because it's a human. Since the first cell, since sperm and egg came together, you were completely 100% who you are right now and you will always be that way. God wove us together in our mother's womb. We weren't less human when we had fewer cells. And in that first cell, it was either two X's or an X and a Y chromosome involved. And from that moment onward, with every cell division leading up to all the stages, we were on track to become a male or we were on track to become a female. That's biology. You don't have to have faith. You, you could say Genesis is all boggledy book if you want to, but it's biology, it's science. You can't argue with it. You know, even in science, you know, I still, I believe, I, I think like a scientist. I want to know if, I believe in God's word, but I believe God's word confirms what we can see by what God has created. The invisible attributes of God are clearly seen by what he's created, right? So there's never gonna be a time that the word of God requires us to believe something that's not easily apparent with the naked eye. There's some things that maybe we don't understand yet. You know, back in the day, they thought the earth was the center of the universe and not the, you know, the sun went around us rather than the other way around. Because that's not plain obvious. There were facts they didn't have back then. But there's some things that are just plain obvious and factual. And as you're either a male or a female, and if you don't believe the word of God, just get a genetic test. It's on every single one of the six to eight trillion cells in your body. And it can't be changed. Not with surgery, not with, you know, it's time. I, I, I coach swimming. I still love swimming. It was always my sport. And this year when I saw that, that transgender was Leah Thomas 
go and like wreck all the records. Three years of college swimming, there he is. I, I will be the boy in the crowd that said, that is a man. It's a man. You can have all the hormone therapy and all of the surgeries that you want, but on every single cell of that poor soul's body is written, I am male. It's a serious thing. It's not something where we should be, I don't want to be ungracious. You could take that, that picture off, Karen, thank you. I don't want to be ungracious to anybody. There are serious struggles with identity right now. I mean, we're in a, an identity crisis. There's no question. But some of the most basic Core identity being made in the image of likeness in God goes right back to the first thing that God said about us. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What's, why male and female? Why is male and female the image of God? Well, here's the first thing we learn about sexuality. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Not just one, one flesh. You fill in the blanks. There's children in here. That's what sexuality was made for. For the two, made in the image of God, to become one flesh, to reunite the image of God and the beauty of love, which is where life gets created. God entrusted us with the creation of human life. And if we allow our culture, and we don't have ready answers and an understanding of why it is that God made things this way. Well, we'll be the quiet ones in the crowd, letting the emperor trance along all naked and going along with what everybody is saying. There's some times that it's good to stay quiet. You don't need to, if you're a student, this doesn't mean when you get into biology class, you start being argumentative every day. But there might be a time that you might want to be the one, like the one who opened my world with one simple statement. I've shared my testimony. Many of you know this already. I was sitting there in a class. We were studying philosophy and reading existential philosophers of the modern era and all this kind of say Inesco and Beckett and all these guys. And I was full in on it because, again, it justified my sin. If we just exist and there's no God, there's no accountability, there's no reason to think of anything other than my personal pleasure, then I'll just do whatever I want to. And, and that's why I believe that. And then in class one day, the professor was going off on this atheistic rant and this kid who sat behind me, there's only like 14, 16 of us in the class and none of us ever challenged the professor. He was one of those brilliant, articulate, typical liberal college professor types. And he was just a genius. The man could speak, the man could preach. And he preached atheism. And the kid behind me in the middle of one of his atheistic rants must have put his hand up. The professor kind of grunted at him, what? And he said, doesn't it take just as big a leap of faith to believe that all of the order and the, the complexity of everything that we see in life came about all by itself as it is to believe that there was a creator behind it who had something in mind when he did it? And for the first time in the entire course, the professor was silent. And so were all of us. We all went, <gasps> there's no oxygen left in the room. And we turned and looked at him. Who are you who is so wise in the ways of science? And the professor went right back, into his, uh, right back into the play that we were reading and never addressed it. That was a moment for me, like the kid in the crowd saying, that emperor is naked. And I went back to high school biology and all the things I'd learned, and I realized I never once gave any critical thought to this whole evolution thing. I never once actually questioned the science teachers and professors that I had who just take it as plain fact and then move on from there. And I'm looking around going, you know, it really doesn't make any sense. You know, from, from this goo pool thing with lightning, I mean, I know the theory's kind of evolved. The theory evolves whenever science catches up with it, and then it moves on and finds another way to kind of delay the obvious. 
that there is no way that it happened by chance. The invisible attributes of God, his divine nature are clearly seen by that which he's created. That is true, and it's obvious. It's obvious. It's just simple. You know, to, to go beyond that is to get too complicated and to think too much. And it's almost like, and this is what that realm of science has always felt like, I'm just desperately trying to find a way to prevent myself from needing to acknowledge God. And so long as I can explain away life, the universe, and everything without a God in it, that I'm my own God and I can just continue the way I am. That's how I was. That's how maybe some within the sound of my voice are right now. I want to urge you, call it what it is. We were at Lake Tobias yesterday, and I remember learning things about animals now. That you know, I read a great little book for uh, middle schoolers called It Couldn't Just Happen. It gets into all the things that are just, there's no way that a rational mind can think that just happened all by itself. And so there's this giraffe. We're looking at the giraffes. You know, they got giraffes at Lake Tobias right now. They're really cool. They were being on the shy side. We missed the feeding time. So they're as far away from the humans as they can get. They're like, this is some whacked out conspiracy. What are we doing here? We don't belong in Halifax. I know that. I don't know where this is. But this isn't where we belong. And, and they're sitting there, they're on the ground and, and watching them. And I remembered something I shared with, I think, Taya, how, you know, the giraffe, they're like 20 feet tall and they bend down to drink water. And when a, when a threat comes, they've got to be able to pick their head up really quick. And what happens when you bend down or you hang upside down for a few minutes and then you suddenly stand up? <laughs> right? And the older you get, the quicker it happens. <laughs> right? Well, how does a giraffe that big bend over and then instantly come up within a couple of seconds and it doesn't pass out? It's got a built-in mechanism, man. It's got extra muscles in the veins to drain the blood out of the brain and, and it, it's got a higher blood pressure. That's as complex as I can remember it right now. But it's got a mechanism for it. Where did that come from? I'm sorry, but this is, uh, you're, some of you going into high school, you're going to start hearing evolution and all this kind of stuff. You got to ask your teacher to explain it because they can't just say, well, they just evolved that thing. How did they evolve that? Did like one generation of giraffes, like they all passed out and died. So the message got, hey, hey, next model year, you got to make sure you add in this thing because we got to stop passing out when the lions come, you know? It's like, no, there's got to be some way for that to happen. Somebody's got to put it in there. It doesn't just happen by itself. This one, look, that emperor, he got no clothes on. It didn't just happen. There's a creator. That's the most basic, easy thing to acknowledge. Now, what that means, what are the implications for that? We could talk about that. I mean, we, we could talk about how, you know, when it comes down to it, when you really go down the realm of, okay, he who believes must believe that God is. That's the beginning of Hebrews 11. You got to believe God is. That's, it all begins. Either he is or he isn't. Either God created everything or it created itself. And it, it doesn't just happen like that. And so we begin in that place, and, and that truth changes everything. That truth literally turns the light on so we could begin to see the world through an entirely different lens. So when lies become embraced as truth, courage is required. And it's like a spell of, of, um, of deceit has to be broken by speaking up, even and especially when it's uncomfortable. That little boy in the crowd, have you, anybody ever been in a place where you're the only voice? We're the only one who can see truth for what it is. And everybody around you is talking and you begin to feel sometimes like maybe I'm wrong. Everybody around me is saying this. I mean, with my eyes, I see something completely different. 
But everybody else is saying this. Maybe I'm wrong, and they're right. I want to exhort you today, and I want to pray as we close out in a little while here, that this is a day for courage. This is a day that when the moment comes, there is a time to speak and a time to stay silent. And, and there are still times to stay silent. You don't need to make an argument every time something gets said. But then there are times that like that kid, I wish I knew his name, I wish I could tell him what he did. Because I know he's part of the Christian club and in that day I used to make fun of them. And I want to repent for that and I want to let him know that one word you said was like that little boy, that emperor's naked, changed my life. Opened my heart to God. The lights came on. I started looking around my life. Before you knew it, within weeks, I all of a sudden, literally in the middle of my sin, that's as detailed as you get, it dried up. I had no desire for it anymore. It was like I woke up and said, what am I doing here? This is not who I was made for. This is not right. There's some, I can't explain why. I don't even, what's, what's wrong with me? I actually said out loud. What's wrong with me? I don't like drinking anymore. I don't like sleeping around anymore. What's wrong with me? And it was because everything got right with me. Why? Somebody broke the spell with one word because he was bold enough in the middle. I mean, he was risking like mockery like you never heard before. That professor was a genius, sharp tongue. He could have put him in his place just like that. It was a great risk. But you know, I want to encourage us with something here in America. The worst risk we currently have, we might lose our job, we might get made fun of, we might be viewed as that crazy Jesus freak, which is what they called me at the Boys and Girls Club. They called me, uh, um, what's his name, Ned Flanders from The Simpsons, like the only Christian reference they had. That's, that was my nickname there. I was made fun of and all of that, but I'm not being killed or crucified for it. Do you know the context of the entire New Testament? or people that were at risk of being crucified, being scourged, being rejected. I mean, literally cast out to be left on their own, to starve to death by their families, by their communities. Cast out of the synagogue meant you no longer have status. I mean, being canceled today can have consequences, but we're not getting stoned to death for what we say or what we believe. So for us, I want to urge you, it's time to be courageous. It's time to use the voice to speak what's obviously true with gentleness, with meekness, with humility, but with confidence, with courage. There are times that we're just going to have to be willing and able to do that. I want to read something that Paul wrote describing the days that we're in. This is in 2 Timothy. Just so that you know that this is not a surprise. And I will say as I read this, because uh, it begins, this is 2 Timothy 3, um, I realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Y'all, if you've been around for a while, you know my belief about end times, about eschatology is the fancy word for it, that I don't believe that the world's going to just get worse and worse and worse, and then Jesus comes back to save the day. I'm no longer a pessimillennialist. I believe that the kingdom of heaven will accomplish everything it was planted for in the earth. And I also believe that the darkness that we're seeing right now is evidence that the, not of darkness prevailing in the day, but that the kingdom of heaven is advancing. Now that doesn't mean we kick back and say, hey, great. No, the light is dawning means the light's got to continue to increase. It means we've got to use our voice. We've got to use our cry to the Lord in the place of intercession. We've got to be more diligent today, more watchful and more active today than at any point in any of our adult lives or young adult lives. This is not an hour to kick back and say, hey, great, we're winning. You ever, uh, I mean, ask, um, dare I say it? <laughs> ask um, 
Ask Atlanta, when's the time that you've won the game? Even at, what was it, 28-3, Aaron? What was it, 28-3? With like two and a half minutes on the clock, is 28-3 enough? <laughs> Ask Atlanta. I don't think so. Even if light is beginning to prevail in the day, that's no time to kick back. We are living in perilous times, but because of that, the opportunity for reaching people who are wandering in darkness, who are lost in darkness, who are without hope, who are without God, who are without identity, who are struggling just to, to even know, uh, to have a clue. Light was born for times like this. This is what we were made for. So don't let what I'm about to read discourage you. Let it just confirm that Jesus saw this coming and he caused us to be born again for such a time as this. All right? So in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of self. So you know, it's said of our generation right now, and I say our because I'm sick of hearing people talk about, oh, kids these days, like lovers of self, social media, influencers, the age of the selfie, lovers of self. I can't take a picture of the Grand Canyon without my face in it. Right? I mean, I am the center of all the beauty that I'm seeing around me. <laughs> I mean, I get it. You want to have a picture. And yeah, look, I was here to send back. But look at what you're looking at for a second, right? It's not all about you. Lovers of self, lovers of money. Yeah, that's an easy one in America, especially. Boastful, arrogant, revilers, right? You make fun of people that are righteous instead of saying, hey, you might have something going on there. Disobedient to parents, who saw that coming? <laughs> Man, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, you know, all the struggles as parents, especially if you parent to teenagers, young adults, you, you're tracking with me right now. And I was feeling really down about some things. And, and I, was, I was thinking about the garden, about the conversation in the garden. I realized, you know what? God, you're the best father who's ever lived. You are love incarnate. You have nothing but perfection and love. And the only two people alive had unbroken communion with the Father. They didn't have to be born again. They didn't have to have sin dealt with. They had perfection. The Father had two kids in the garden and they, they wouldn't listen to him. Just saying. That might be a word for some of you that needed to hear the same encouragement I did. That it doesn't make us a bad parent when our kids make choices. Do you believe that yet? I was, I'll preach it if you need, but I thought maybe that would encourage you. That God the Father had two kids. They made a bad choice. Thanks a lot, Adam. Thanks a lot, Eve. Disobedient to parents. Ungrateful. Ungrateful. Unholy. Unloving. Unforgiving or irreconcilable. That, you know, this is what cancel culture is all about. This one right here. The amazing thing is that the secular Pharisees of today are stricter than the religious Pharisees have ever been at any point in history. You can be canceled, as we put it, for a tweet you sent out 15 years ago that you've long since repented of. Somebody can dig it up, put it out there, social media spreads it all around, and now nobody's going to come to your concert, the venue won't host you anymore. That's, that is strict, man. That is, like, that make the Pharisees sit up and take note, like, ooh, we should try that one. Where was social media when we needed it, say the Pharisees? to know what everybody's done all the time for their whole lives. That is, and that's part of the, the last days. It's not, it's not just religious people that can become Pharisees. Secular Pharisees are just as bad. 
maybe even more so because there's an agenda behind it. Without self-control, they're malicious gossips. They're brutal, haters of good, treacherous or treasonous. I mean, in a day when this is a danger we have in our nation, I'm going to call it out and I'll say it because we really need to pray. When people think that their own nation is the source of evil, that's a dangerous day for that nation. If young people are being taught that to the core, there's nothing reconciled worthy about their own nation, the enemy doesn't even have to invade anymore. It's, it becomes destroyed from within. We believe that we've been you know, built on slavery, built on evil and corruption, rather than being built on principles that endure. Yeah, done by people that had all kinds of issues, put together by people that were fallible, as if anything has ever not been put together by fallible people other than the kingdom of heaven, the only perfect man who ever lived. That's a dangerous place. In the last times when people are traitors, which means I'm willing to betray the safety net of a culture and a nation that I've become thankless about, that's a dangerous day. I'm not saying that we go all you know, super patriotic, America is more important than the kingdom of heaven. We're always first citizens of heaven, but then we're also the best citizens of the United States of America that have ever lived. That's how the church ought to be. We're the best citizens. We're the kind of people that every leader, every ruler, every governor, president, king, emperor, whoever would ever want. Why? Because we answer to an authority that requires us to have no laws. Right? Self-government. That's the foundation of our nation. Self-governed. You don't need a bunch of rules. You don't need a bunch of police. You don't need 87,000 IRS agents to make you pay taxes. We're going to do it because it's righteous. Right? So that brutal, um, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding on to a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. This is a day for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation to them that believe. Um, I'm just going to skip a little bit ahead. So when, when a culture is shifted, whenever a culture has gone to the level of godlessness that I just read about, God doesn't Wipe it away. That's not his motive. This is the new covenant, guys. This is the new covenant day. The new covenant is just like the days of Abraham. When Sodom and Gomorrah were ripe for destruction, Abraham began to intercede on their behalf. He started that negotiation thing. Sounded like, you know, somebody at an auction. You know, well, what if you find 50 in that city that are righteousness? Would you just, righteous, would you destroy that city, including the 50 righteous? And the angel being speaking on God's behalf, said, no, I'd, for 50, I'd spare it. Oh, okay, cool. What about if you find 40? How about 30? 30, 30, 30, give me 20, 20, 20, give me 10. And he keeps negotiating with God and finally says, I don't know why he stopped at 10. Maybe if he would have said three, I don't know. I'm, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> but he stopped there and that's God's heart. For the sake of my people, God doesn't want any nation to be destroyed. God doesn't eagerly await the day of judgment. If there's anything in us that finds pleasure in the thought of God's judgments coming to the nation, we need to repent. We need to get as far away from that spirit as possible. That is not something that originates in heaven. There should be no pleasure. There's no pleasure in heaven for any kind of judgment that comes, for any kind of war or whatever manifestation. When spiritual warfare breaks out in the natural, that's what warfare is. That, that's when a nation goes to civil war or international level war. That's what's happened. There's been contending in the heavenlies 
and, and the contending's been going on, and finally it breaks out into the natural realm. That's, that's, we don't want that. None of us should be praying for that. I hope you don't ever join forces or agree with those that are excited about the thought, hey, God's judgment's coming. I would like to see the day when righteousness prevails. I would like to see the day when justice prevails. I mean, real justice prevails. We're living in an awesome day when things are becoming manifest. I mean, I've never seen, although there's unprecedented corruption that's being exposed, there's also unprecedented transparency. There are things that God is bringing into the light in so many ways, it's just amazing. That's worth rejoicing in. That is evidence that the kingdom of heaven is advancing in that. But what does God do then? When, when things get dark, what does God do? There, there's this great old song, you know, I saw all these things, you know, God, why don't you do something? And God said, I did, I created you. We're the answer. There are times when we need to cry out to God, God, you got to move. God, you got to do something. And then there are times we need to say, am I the answer to that prayer just threw up there? Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the one sitting in that class and I might only influence a dozen students, but maybe that's going to be the turnaround. That one kid in that philosophy class influenced me and anybody who's ever had any benefit from anything that got out of these flapping lips or the ministry of my life, it goes right back to that one kid in that one class. That was a seed he planted every harvest of my life. He gets credit and he gets a portion of it. It's like one of those pyramid schemes, but, but without the scheme part. <laughs> he just, he gets it. That's part of his fruit. He sowed the seed he gets to reap. He's got reward in heaven because of, you know, what he did with this sad sack life. Imagine if he got somebody important <laughs> and that's all of us. So we don't stop. He raises up people who speak their mouth, who open their voice with love. So it's time to be a voice. Isaiah 40. I'm sorry. I know it's hot and I know this is longer than usual, but I got to finish this one today. You can go whenever you're done if you want. I got food cooking in my smoker and I'm just thinking of it right now, but this is more important and I, I'm just going to finish and, and I, hope, I hope it's all right. I know it's all right with most of you. And if it's not, it's okay. I love you even if you leave. It's time for voices to be raised up. It's time for us to become voices. I shared with a group of folks here at the church who are called to fivefold equipping ministry about learning how to find your voice and not just be an echo. An echo in, in the world I came from is what we used to call a pseudo-intellectual. That's somebody who reads a bunch of books, reads a bunch of philosophies, and repeats what they've heard somewhere else. Doesn't understand it, can't make the case for it has no idea why that might be true, but just based like the crowd before the naked emperor just repeats what everybody else is saying. But an actual voice is somebody who's got something born of the spirit. You got something that's alive on the inside. You have truth that's been revealed in the innermost parts. And we're not just learning arguments from philosophers, even Christian ones, who I'm not against apologetics, by the way. I think it's good to think through, get our mind caught up with what our spirit already knows to be true. I'm all for it so long as that's following as a caboose to the engine, which is I am alive in Christ right now. I have, a, I have truth in the inner man. And I don't just know about the truth in my mind. I've experienced the truth that set me free. Does that make sense? So I believe in that. We've got to become a voice. There's got to come something that comes like that little boy. This is plain and obvious to me that God is, that God is love, that, that he has a way, and it's just true. A voice is calling, Isaiah 40, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and let every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged train a broad valley. And then what will happen? The glory of the Lord will be revealed. 
and everyone will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Sometimes we've got to be a voice that's crying in the wilderness. Of course, the, the, the fulfillment of that prophecy first was John the Baptist, who came in a dark time in Israel and was willing to be a voice literally crying in the wilderness. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was the only one crying out that vo- that, with that voice at that time. He was willing to be the only one. Some people came to see that nut job by the river. Crazy John, as Peter calls him in The Chosen. Sometimes the Pharisees will come out out of curiosity. Who is this wilderness preacher and what's he saying? Some people came out, they heard his word, and they got saved. And the way was prepared for the Lord Jesus Christ. The first two disciples that Jesus chose were disciples of John. He prepared the way literally for the Messiah, but he was willing to be the only one saying what he was saying. Now, I want to encourage you, we're not the only ones saying these things. There are, uh, I'm going to sh- close with Elijah in a few minutes, but let's not get into an Elijah complex like, man, everybody else has gone nuts, but at least I have my mind. Let, let's not get into that pride pit of that. But we do at times, even when it feels like we're alone, need to be willing to be the one to speak the truth with love, with humility, with compassion, with, a gen- with prayer, with asking God to do supernaturally what our words can't do, we've got to be willing to be the one. So the voice said, call out. And then he answered, well, what should I say? Well, say this, all flesh is grass, and its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. There is some truth that will never change. And no culture, no trend, nothing will ever make it not true. There are portions of this Bible that are difficult to understand because 2,000 years of culture and changes and language that can be a little difficult to understand. But there's much more of what's in here that's very easy to understand. As Mark Twain really well put it one time, he said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me, it's the parts I understand that bother me. Maybe he didn't like those lists of the sins of the flesh or something like that. Those don't change. You don't get to take one out and say, this one's no longer relevant. But the ones that I don't like, they stay on that list. We don't get to do that with the Word of God. Sexual sin is sexual sin. It doesn't matter what the rest of the culture says. God created them male and female, and male and female became one flesh. That's how he created sexuality to be. It'll never change just because the culture around us has changed. The Word of God's kind of like, um, it used to be a lifeguard. You ever swim at the beach when there's a strong, it's called a longshore current. Longshore currents are the ones that drift left or right from the shoreline. Rip currents are the ones that take you out to sea. Two longshore currents join together, that becomes a rip current. But a longshore current's like you swim in, and you're playing around with your friends, and you look up, and the lifeguard's all the way down there all of a sudden. And your mom's freaking out. Right? Where are you? I'm staying for the lifeguard. And you didn't mean to swim, but You moved. Now, a crazy person would say, why does that lifeguard keep moving his stand? <laughs> but that's, that's when we call darkness light and we call light darkness. That's exactly what we're doing. That lifeguard is the word of God. He's always going to be sitting there protecting. The reason for anything that God says, thou shalt not, all the thou shalt nots are for our protection. They're for having the best possible life. Manifest in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. If we don't see it in Jesus, then it shouldn't be. That's perfection. That is what life was made to be. And any thou shalt not, so there for that reason. It's not like God says, oh man, you did that. And he's frowning and waiting. 
We used to joke around like after, you know, one of our friends would take the Lord's name in vain, you know, use the word of God. And we kind of back away and go, I just want to get away from you before the lightning hits you. And we joke around like that. But that's not how God is. God's never been a God who said, I'm making all these rules because I want to make more opportunity for me to take you out to the woodshed. He's not like that. Every single thing that God said, don't do this, it's for good reason. If only Adam and Eve would have taken more heed to that than to the serpent, they wouldn't have lost their firstborn son to jealousy. I mean, that was the first fruits before the first man and woman went to the grave. They saw the first murder happen in their own family. It's only two other humans on the earth and they couldn't get along with each other. It happened that fast. And it was all because that sly serpent came along and he said to them, oh, God's holding out on you. Try some fruit from that tree. And they believed him and they went for it. Word of God stands forever. Being a voice requires courage and a willingness to be the only one who's saying the things that we're saying. So it's just like in that first garden story, the first time Adam and Eve were there, and and they were together, by the way, when this happened in Genesis 3, and that serpent came along, and he started talking to Eve. He said, doesn't that tree look good? Eve starts looking at it, and and she's like, ooh, yeah, that does look good. It looks tasty. It looks pretty. And and the serpent's very sneaky, kind of looking around. God's not around right now. I don't know where he got that idea from, but God's not watching. This is one thing everybody, young people especially, if deception's going to come, the voice will always come at a time where there's no opposing answer. Those questions, did God really say you couldn't eat from every tree in the garden? He just doesn't want you wise. He doesn't want, he doesn't want you to be like him. And never say that when God's present. And the, the sly voice, the conniving, sneaky voice will pull you off to the side when a wise voice who knows the truth and can articulate the truth isn't present. Be careful about those voices. Be careful about the voice that pulls you away from the wise voices in your life, that pulls you away from those who have had some life experience, who've walked with God. This is why we all have fathers and mothers. This is why that whole design was put in place. Talk to somebody who's lived a little bit. When some, when, and when a voice comes and tries to convince you, well, they're just dumb. Well, they just don't understand. But believe me over here, just remember the first story. The original sin happened after the original lie. God's holding out on you, and don't, you don't need to talk to him about this. If only Adam and Eve would have just said, hey, you know, I'm going to just go ask God about that. You know, we got a morning appointment again tomorrow morning. I'm going to just ask him about that. Before we eat from that tree, I want to test what you said against what he's going to answer to that. If only they would have just done that. Eve was deceived But Adam didn't speak up at the time either. You know, Eve was the first one. It says Eve took of the fruit and then she gave it to Adam, which means he was there when she did it. Where was Adam? Dude, this is a time to speak up. This is a time for you to go, Eve, don't do it. The serpent's lying. I was there, God said to me. We've seen God face to face. We are his image and his likeness. There's nothing more to be had. We have everything our heart could ever desire. He's tricking us. He's lying to us. He should have opened his mouth. Instead, he stayed silent and in his cowardice, almost like looked at Eve when she took a bite from that fruit. Well, she didn't keel over and died. I guess I'll try it too. Eve might have been deceived, but Adam ate willingly instead of opening his mouth. I want to urge you guys, there are times that we need to be courageous enough to be that voice. 
that loves our friends, that loves those around us, that we have relationship and an open door to their heart, <coughs> that loves them enough to say, don't do it, that's wrong. That's wrong. Let me help, let me walk with you. Let's talk about this. Let's, you know, let, let's consider another way. Let's minister compassion. Let, let, let's, let's just, you know, don't just go and do that thing. It's going to destroy your life. A real friend, guys, is the one who will say those things to you. The false friends, like in the story of Pinocchio, are the ones that say, ah, don't worry about it. That's what the serpent said. Ah, don't worry about it. God, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I eat that tree all the time. Look at me. I'm fine. Well, except for that little slithering, slimy belly you got over there and the fact that nobody likes you. Why come none of the other animals like you, by the way? What, you know, they should ask questions like that. So the simplicity of the Word of God makes it offensive to people who have a vested interest in the system that the Word of God challenges. That's what happened with Jesus, right? He came, he, wasn't, he didn't get crucified for starting a new synagogue down the street. He got crucified because he challenged Rome, uh, Rome's authority and Israel's authorities by saying, I've come to bring in a kingdom that's going to endure. This is something new. And it's simple. It's really simple. It's going to be a mustard seed. You're going to be born again. You're going to have a new life. You're going to be restored to the way God created you in the first place. And then you're going to go change the world. It's going to be an amazing thing that you're going to see at the end of the day. Don't be intimidated by the voice of the system. Don't be intimidated by the crowd, even if they say the emperor is naked, even though you can see plainly that he's not wearing any clothes. Don't be intimidated by that. Don't be intimidated by the voice that says, no, the Bible might say that that's wrong and destructive, but look, I've done it before and my life's not wrecked. Well, maybe it's not yet. Maybe you haven't seen the fruit of that sin yet. But the Word of God stands forever. It's always true. It's always right. This is the power of that intimidating voice. And I just want to close with this thing with Elijah. It's something I've just been really thinking about a lot lately. Because that, that spirit that came on me, a couple of times I was preparing this. I was driving back um, in the car. Was it? I guess it was yesterday. I was driving back yesterday. My wife was out. Yeah, I was driving back in the car, and I felt this thing just kind of, like this, this thing come over me. Like, it just felt sick to my stomach for just a moment as I was thinking about what I was going to share here. And it's this intimidating voice. And I saw empty seats here in the sanctuary, like I offended everybody out of the church. Maybe I preached too long this week, and it was too hot and sweaty, and I offended somebody out of the church with that. I don't know. But this thing just came over me, like, keep your mouth shut. And this, this has been heavy. I don't, I don't, I like preaching like happy, clappy, make people laugh kind of messages. But this is so important right now, guys. I feel like we have, not just the hour is dark, but we have opportunity like we've never seen before in this hour if we're bold and courageous and not going to be intimidated by the voice of that system. Here's how powerful that voice is. And I don't want to preach about the Jezebel spirit. That's another thing in itself. But this was in the days of Jezebel. King Ahab, Jezebel is a spirit that <clears throat> co-opts actual authority. So Ahab was king of Israel at the time. His wife was Jezebel. She's a foreigner. She is a priestess and a prophetess. She has prophets who are worshiping Baal and Astra. Awful gods, by the way. Baal, you're sacrificing your firstborn to be burned alive. That's how you worship Baal. Astra, no better. And the things that were involved in that. So we think sometimes, you know, why did God destroy all, the, all those people? Why was it so harsh? Well, that's what they were doing, and that's what they thought. This is our act of worship. And you're not going to tell us otherwise. This is what we're going to do. Well, I don't know about you. I wouldn't want that living next door to my house. So God does sometimes clear the deck with that. But that's what was happening. In that day, Ahab had this wife who was like um, 
co-opting his authority and working all kinds of darkness. So there comes this day finally where there's been drought in the land and God says, okay, Elijah, time's up. And, and Elijah has the showdown on Mount Carmel. You all know the story. In the middle of a drought, he mocks the prophets of Baal all day. Let's see which is the real God. Call down fire from heaven. And he starts mocking the prophets of Baal as they're doing their thing. They're cutting themselves. They're calling on things. And Elijah's flat out making fun of them. Maybe Baal had to go to the bathroom or something. Maybe he's on vacation. You know, he's, he's making fun of them all day. Literally, that's what he said. And he's making fun of them all day. Then came his turn. He told him to dig a trench around the altar and fill it with water in the middle of a drought. Fill it with water because I want there to be no doubt you're going to have to see with your eyes today who the real God is. Call down fire from heaven. <clears throat> now the prophets of Baal are on the run. They're, everybody saw it. And the Israel's in full-blown revival. Elijah said to them, grab the prophets of Baal. I want to make sure you understand this. Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and he slew them there. So all the prophets of Baal are wiped out. Remember, the prophets of Baal, the people of God have said, enough's enough. You murderous you know, thieves, you have been killing our kids. You have been putting us under this fear for long enough, this dark demonic oppression, and you're done. So they got capital punishment that day. Prophets of Baal are all gone. Then with one word, then, then, then Elijah goes out. He told the king, Ahab, hey, you better get home because I hear the sound of mighty waters. And... and King looks up at the sky, it's still as blue as it's been for the last several years, but he starts making his way back. Elijah did that thing where he prayed and then it's a cloud the size of a man's fist, kept praying. Skies open up and it rains again at answer to Elijah's prayer. So put yourself in Elijah's mind for a moment. You just saw revival break out, fire fell from heaven, all Israel's in open revival and awakening to the one true God. You just prayed and God showed up by making it rain after year long, years and years of drought. Uh, there, there is so much water, you can't even handle it. And then he gets word that Jezebel found out what he did. And he hears that Jezebel said, I'm going to do to you what you did to my prophets by the end of this day. Elijah runs off into the wilderness. He gets as far as he can, and he goes to the mountain of God where Moses met with God, Mount Oreb. He's at Mount Oreb. And he cries out to God. He's hiding in a cave. God comes to him. He sent an angel to give him food. God comes and says, um, so what you doing here, Elijah? We finally got an answer to everything you've been praying for all this time. Didn't you see how I showed up? Dude, why are you here? Why are you outside of the promised land now in Arabia? This isn't your place. We still got work to do. This is enjoy the party on the other side of all your years of sacrifice. And here's what Elijah's response was, and this is the power of that intimidating spirit. He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They have torn down your altars. They have killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. One woman threatened him. And now he believes that the entire nation did not, in fact, have an awakening, as he just saw with his own eyes. That they are, they're killing the prophets of God, not the prophets of Baal, as he just saw with his own eyes. And they're hunting him down to kill him. They're seeking his life rather than celebrating and rejoicing that the one true God's back in the land. If you felt like you're crazy 
and you feel like you're alone, you have not lost your mind. You're under a spirit. There is a spirit of intimidation that's trying to make the people of God believe that what we know to be righteous is actually evil. Love is love, they say, which means have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want to. That's not love. And I will now come under a spirit that says, well, you should accept that homosexual sex is okay. That you should accept that marriage between a man and a man and a woman and a woman is okay. Or you're not loving. You call yourself a Christian and you're loving. Well, if you don't agree with that, then you're a bigot. And you're a something-something-phobe. You don't believe that you can choose what gender you want and change it any day of the week. Well, you're transphobic. That's the intimidating voice of the enemy trying to make us believe that what we see to be apparent and easily recognizably true is actually false. That is that spirit that Jezebel occupies. That is the spirit of the age. That's what's going on. That is the spirit that makes somebody who is wise enough, whether you agree with their philosophy or not, and strong enough to be a justice on the Supreme Court of the United States, afraid to answer a question like, what is a woman? That is what makes people who can see a baby moving inside its mother's womb say, no, I believe a woman's right to choose is more important than the life inside that womb. It's this intimidating spirit that flips the script and makes evil good and makes good evil. Don't fall under that spirit. Don't you allow that to make you believe you have not lost your mind. It's time to put on the mind of Christ again. The truth will always prevail. There might be, there's going to be, some major shaking going on because darkness has gotten entrenched in too many places in our culture. Let's not be another generation that makes the mistake of pulling back and staying silent while we wait for the bus. Let's be that generation who goes in with love and with confident authority to speak truth into those places and not allow darkness to just win the day. Let's not be those who have the light of the world and keep it under a bushel. Let's bright, let make our lights shine brightly in this hour. Be as the stars of the universe in a really dark, what appears to be a dark time. When we find ourselves being intimidated and deceived into believing the opposite of what is true, three things. Number one, return to the simplicity of God's word. There really is something about opening up the word of God and hearing right from the heart of God. We may, we may have to sort through prophecy. We may have to discern the voices that we hear on the radio, on the podcast, this voice that comes over the pulpit. Whatever any human being says, we should discern. But how many of you know this has already been discerned? And this is right from the heart of God. There's something about opening up the word of God, reading it, absorbing it, soaking it in, meditating on it, and asking God to make it alive on the inside of us, that even if it still seems so confusing and chaotic out there, even if it seems so much like, man, I don't even understand what you guys are saying right now. There's something very peaceful about coming into the simple truth of God's word. Jesus said, you got to repent and become like little children. I wonder if that was the inspiration for the emperor's new clothes story. Repent and become like little children. Stop complicating everything. Just speak the truth for what you know it to be. There's some things that really are just that simple. Don't be afraid of it and don't complicate it. If we find ourselves rationalizing things away, trying to convince ourselves that something that our heart is, is pushing back against, then we should really question, am I under a spirit right now that's trying to deceive me and make me believe lies? Because this just shouldn't be this wrestling match. Truth comes with this peace. Number two, don't allow any voice to separate you from God's presence. Just like Adam and Eve were separated in the garden and then they believed the lie, 
Don't allow any voice to separate you from the love of God in Christ. Don't, don't allow it. The only way that we ever get separated from God is by our choice. When we say, I don't like what you're saying right now, so I'm going to pull away. God never pulls himself away from us. Don't let any voice. If we find a voice, which means a belief system, a philosophy, whether it's something we read here, whether friends are pressuring us, if it makes us feel like i got to pull away from God right now, let every alarm bell in your system go off. You are like Adam and Eve staring at that tree. The other thing is don't stare at that tree too long because sin always looks attractive at first. Always does. All darkness looks attractive at first. There's something intriguing about it. And it says that that tree was pleasant to look at and the, the fruit looked good to eat on that tree. It looks pleasant at first. You stare at it too long, before you know, you find out, oh, there was, I, I bit into that thing, but there's poison in that fruit and I didn't know about it until I ate it. Don't let any voice pull you away from the wise voices God's given as a gift. Number three, make no final decision and accept no truth unless it comes from the peace that comes from the presence of God. Don't discern anything. We should not be discerning anything coming to any belief, coming to any understanding, coming to any position on any issue whatsoever unless it comes with the peace that comes when we're in the presence of God. Amen? All right, I'd like to ask all of you to stand on your feet for a minute and I'd like to close with just blessing each other and praying over each other. If you find yourself right now in a position in life, whether it's because of your work, because you're maybe a student in school, because of where you are as a family, or you live in your neighborhood, whatever it is, where you find yourself and you're saying, I hear what you're saying, that's been my experience. I feel like I'm surrounded by voices that are pressuring me to conform to this world. Would you please raise your hand? You're in that warfare. You, you know that you're in it. When, when you go to work, when you go where you go, put them up nice and high because I'm going to ask the saints of God to surround you and pray. Maybe you're one who, like me, said, am I losing my mind? If you've even said those exact words, please put your hand up. Keep your hand up for a minute. All right, and saints, I'd like to ask you to surround these guys. Surround them uh, and put your hands down only when you feel some hands on you. Keep your, keep your hands up until you've got some people praying for you. Go ahead, guys. Move around. Let's impart courage. Let's impart strength to one another. Let's impart the mind of Christ, which always is peaceful, which always knows the truth that'll set free. Go ahead and just begin to pray. Uh, pray with your mind, pray in the spirit. Just begin to bless them. I'll, I'll close you out in a minute, but for the moment, just go ahead and pray. And if you're at home right now, I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. If you've been experiencing that kind of thing, like the swirl of confusion and chaos all around you, God has better things for you. You don't have to live like that. You don't need to be in that place. Right now, you can make a decision. Just say, Jesus, I need you closer than I've ever needed you before. I feel like I've been under this thing. I feel afraid to speak the truth. I feel intimidated right now to even believe what I believe. Sometimes I feel like I'm the evil one, even though I know that I'm going after righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I bless you in Jesus' name. And I say right now, spirit of fear, be gone in Jesus' name. Get off of the people of God. Your voice is silenced right now. You have no authority. You have lost your position of authority over these minds right now, we say in the name of Jesus. Spirit of intimidation, you will be silent right now. Your voice will not come to these hearts for another moment. You will not be convincing. You will not be able to deceive the people of God. Mind of Christ, I speak to you in the heart of every saint right now. Come alive and come awake and work and function as you were made to. Christ in you, the hope of glory, begin to manifest with rivers of life. 
the way, the truth, and the life that's on the inside manifest right now, that minds will be coming right now. I say, minds, be at peace in Jesus' name. Be under that spirit no longer, but be more than a conqueror now through Jesus Christ. Spirit of confusion, you are gone in the name of Jesus. You have no place. Every thought right now, you are captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought right now, center around Jesus Christ. Every mind that's been like ping pong balls. I just had this picture of ping pong balls around in minds, and you can't even grab hold of a thought long enough to know what it is. Be at peace right now in Jesus' name. Peace of God come. Understanding of heaven come. A deep knowing. Even when the mind hasn't caught up yet, I bless you right now with a deep knowing and an understanding of the truth. Experiencing the truth, not knowing about the truth, but experiencing the truth of God as the living Christ that it is on the inside of you. Experience that right now in Jesus' name. Go from this place and go out into the world as those who have a confident, humble authority sent from heaven. You are heaven sent. You are heaven sent. You are a child of God. You are always sitting in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I say in Jesus' name, you will not be dragged down. The world will not drag you down into any place of confusion and chaos. But you'll be one who brings peace in the middle of other people's storms. You'll be one who brings understanding in other, other people's confusion. You'll be a voice of reason in a world that feels like it's gone mad. You'll have a truth that will be on your lips. The Lord will give you an instructed tongue of a disciple that you'll say one phrase and it'll cut through like a hot knife through butter. It'll cut through deception. And understanding will come to those who are confused, even to those who are trying to put you under that confusing thing. Thank you, Jesus, for being alive in all of you people. May this be a great day. The day of the saints has now come. The day of being alive in Christ has now come. Go from this place in the power of the Spirit and testimony after testimony, follow in your footsteps. You go out with joy. You led forth in peace. Mountains and hills break forth in a singing before you, and all the trees of the field clap their hands. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. Feel free to throw a few more hugs around. Love on each other, and I'll see you again in the plan. <laughs>